Hey everyone, welcome to the Dream Hustle Podcast, the show that shares authentic and unfiltered advice on how to build and grow a successful dream business online. I'm your host, Shana Recker. I'm a business and online entrepreneur, and I love helping women bust through the fears and find the strategies to make their dream business come to life. My guests and I keep everything super real here for you guys with our stories and tips for success. So let's dig into today's episode. So welcome, Jen, to the podcast. So super excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. You're in Scottsdale. So what, what's going on in Scottsdale today? Is it like crazy hot there? It, it's actually, it's funny because this is my second summer in Scottsdale because I came from South Florida and it's, it's hot, but it's not been as hot as it was what I remember really? last year. Okay, well, let's dig in. So first, I would love for you to share because I know you've had lots of experience in the entrepreneurial game. Obviously, you started uh, you know, back in 2015, so you've had some in and out some ups and downs so can you just take us on that journey with you because a lot of the listeners on this podcast um, are thinking about starting in the entrepreneurial game and I know that you've probably got lots of tips and things you've been through that they can probably relate to so let's start there Okay. So I actually thought about being an entrepreneur for probably three years before I did it. And the first tip I'll give you before I even get started is just do it. I think we all know that, you know, just go for it. I thought about it and talked about it for three years before I did it. And so, um, I thought, I think I always knew deep down that I was meant to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't meant to work for somebody, but I did follow what my parents wanted me to do, went to college, got the business degree, started the corporate job and corporate was not what I thought it was going to be at all. And it was like this vicious cycle where I would get one job. I would think I like it or convince myself that I liked it. And then I would, you know, it would be a couple weeks or a couple months, sometimes a couple days. And I'd be like, Oh God, I, I can't do this. And so, and it was a cycle where my, my family was like, this joke is, is Jennifer ever going to find uh, a job that she likes? And I knew deep down it was going to be when I was working for myself. And I remember looking at all these different career paths and I kind of decided to go marketing, which was really broad, but I was like, maybe I should do something. I like fitness. Maybe I should do something in physical therapy. I don't like blood. So I'm not going to do something in like the medical, (laughs) medical field, but like physical therapy. Yeah. And so I was thinking of all these different things. And then I was like, no, this is not what I want to do. So I found myself, I actually got laid off from my, um, a sales job and I found myself cocktail waitressing, um, at a, like a boutique hotel in South Florida. And when I was doing that, then I kind of started the talk of starting my own clothing brand. And this was actually before Lululemon really hit the U S big. And I know you're, you know, it started where you are right. Um, with Lululemon. And so I, uh, it hadn't really hit the U S big and it was just the beginning of what people wanting to have clothing that made them feel good when they were working out. And so I was like, I love fashion. I love fitness. This is what I want to do. So I I literally talked about it for three years. I left that um, serving job. I went back to corporate America for a year and a half, had a sales job, six figure sales job was doing well. Um, I was one of the top sales performers and, but I was miserable. And so basically what happened was I, uh, the tip of the iceberg was I was finding myself on Sundays. I was upset that it was Monday on Mondays. I couldn't wait till it was Friday. And somebody gave me these CDs from a coworker, a really good friend of mine that I worked with. And she's like, Oh my gosh. Cause we used to talk about it. And I look, I look back now and like the personal development journey, it was like so toxic, yeah. but we used to talk about how much we hated all of this stuff and just put up with it. And so she gave me these CDs and I was in outside sales. So I was in my car a lot and I'm probably dating myself like CDs, but really honestly, it wasn't that far ago. I guess that was no, like, like 2015. I mean, that's not that far, like five years ago. Yeah, yeah, and you used to listen to CDs then. I know CDs. Well, I think I got this, uh, the CDs in 2014. So one year more, so like six years, whatever, it doesn't matter. So basically she gave me these CDs. It's called your wish is your command by Kevin Trudeau. And that was the beginning of the, oh my gosh, this other world is out here that I really deep down knew and that there had to been something more, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I was never experienced into that because my family was an entrepreneurs. And so I started listening to these CDs and I went back home to my husband and I was like, Michael, oh my God, like you, this is like something like struck inside of me. And that's when I lit the fire and I was like, all right, I'm going to start this journey. So I, um, I lost a really big, all this stuff started happening. I lost this really big sale that I worked really hard for. They pulled back the commission and I was like, this is it. So I set a date to leave. And I knew that I wasn't going to get to work out my two week because that's how they worked out everything. So I set a date to leave and I'll never forget the day I left. Everyone came up to me and said, I wish I had the guts to do what you're doing. Mm. 
And that literally made me feel good that I was doing the right thing, but it also broke my heart because I was like, all these people feel trapped. They feel trapped and they want to do something, but they have all these excuses or ideas in their head of as to why they can't. And so I was like, all right, I'm on the right path. And so I decided, I started my brand. I had zero industry knowledge, zero contacts. And they asked me like, where are you going to work? I'm like, I'm an overnight CEO now. <laughs> and so I love that's that. like, yeah, I was like, now I'm my own boss, CEO of my own life. So I started the journey. Um, I really, I didn't know where to begin. I thought New York, fashion district. So my cousin lives in, Man um, in Manhattan. So I stayed with her and I got hooked up with a um, pattern and sample maker and I started the journey. And it was something where I had no idea what I was doing. I remember looking at all the fabric, the fabric store she sent me to. It was like floor to ceiling. And I was like, oh God, like what? I started getting all these voices in my head, right? That we get in our head. Yeah. And I was like, the oh, gremlins, I call them. <laughs> yes. What am I going to be able to do? Like, oh my gosh, like I don't even know what the heck I'm doing right now. And what I, then I just kind of had a little snapback moment and was like, figure this out. You could, you're here for a reason. Yeah. So that was like a process. I was, I went to New York twice. I ended up making friends with all the people in the fabric store, like asking them all these questions. I got really resourceful because I had to learn. I, I realized that if I sent them a, I had given them tags, I saved tags of clothes that I liked. And I was like, Oh, 80% polyester, 20% spanic, just for example. And they'd yeah. be like, not all um, blends are treated equally. It's different. And so I was so naive in that I didn't even know. And I had to really learn about the different grades and all of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And I'll never forget one my second trip to um, uh, New York. And I came back and my the lady that was working with me, her intern like brought out all the samples. None of them matched. They looked horrible. It was like, I just did it because <gasps> I just found random fabric. <laughs> and I was out $3,000. Okay. Oh, so, yeah. So I saw them and, and the girl was so nice. The intern, she's like, Oh, these are so nice. And the other lady was like, yeah, that, they're, they're okay. They're okay. Yeah. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking and I know deep down they're not, I don't, I don't want to go forward with them. So I, so I needed to make some tweaks and sizing and, but she was like nickeling and diming me for everything, taking advantage. And this is one thing I will say advice for anybody, especially if you're doing like a product, but this also goes with anything and starting mm -hmm. a journey, start small and add things as you go. So I had the intention, the gut feeling to start with one or two pieces. And then I got uh -huh. over inspired. The next thing I knew I had 12 samples that I never ended up using and $3,000 was gone. Mm. So that was like the moment where I was just like, okay, wake up call, called it my like crash course in fashion university that I never went yeah. to. Yeah. That was when I had to get resourceful. And that's where I pride myself, I guess, in my whole journey is just being resourceful yeah. And so I just went to the wonderful world of Google and I was like, I can't manufacture these here. I found out the pricing, it was going to be way too expensive. And I almost had to go back at square one after a couple months in the process, like two and a half months. And so mm -hmm. I found somebody in South Florida and I'll never forget, I, I, I found him. And then the next thing I know that same day I'm meeting up with him. I'm like, how quickly can you meet up with me? And he ended up being like a middleman and it was what I needed at the time. So he connected me to the fabric suppliers and did all this stuff for me. And the next thing I knew I had my collection, you know, shortly after, but it did take to in total. It wasn't really that fast. However, I was told in this industry, it's fast for, especially for not having any, you know, experience. Yeah. I launched in eight months. And so, oh. yeah, I left my job in January, but really the whole process didn't really start till February. And then I launched in September of 2015. Okay. And so I really didn't know what I was doing. I just had this launch and, um, I, over the course of three years, I basically went through a couple manufacturers and it was, a, yeah. it was up and down. I got things that were defective. I had to return things. It was, mm -hmm. I overmade inventory, just playing a guessing game as opposed to taking pre-orders, the smart thing to do. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. That's how we learn though, right? Exactly. And I did, and I survived off trunk shows. So I, I guess I should say this too, for anybody that might want to do something with inventory, uh, with even with clothing, mm -hmm. just think about, you know, start small. Don't be, a, don't try to keep up with the Joneses and do all this extra stuff because you really don't know. And I kept my business afloat by doing trunk shows. I logged around crates from studio to studio, anybody that would let me come and I would put up a rack and I would sell my clothes. I remember in December of the first year I launched, I did 22 trunk shows in one month. Wow. Just bringing your stuff. And that's like not only being resourceful and getting that out there, but just being like persistent in making it happen. Like it's like pounding the pavement kind of thing. Right. But 
when you believe in something and you're, you know, you're that passionate about something, you'll do whatever it takes. Exactly. Yeah. It was definitely pounding the pavement, taking it back to the basics. It was really when Facebook ads weren't really huge back then. They were hardly a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I didn't know a lot about social media. I was learning Instagram as I went. I will say that I was told to act bigger than I was. And that was a really big pivotal mistake in my journey when I did that because I didn't respond to comments and I was getting decent engagement for no ads. I was getting like, I look back at things, posts that I did like 500 likes and they were 60 comments and I didn't reply to any of them. And it just makes me sick to my stomach because I reply to everything now, Yeah, but it was a, another lesson. And, you know, and they weren't bot comments. They were like legit comments about the posts that I did and they weren't people I knew. And so everything. Well, and I think that's such good advice, especially for those people who are listening right now in the process of building. It's like, I think the thing that people are craving right now is the authenticity and the process and seeing all of the things versus trying to just put yourself out there. Like you got all your shit together because at the end of the day, none of us really do, no matter who you're looking at, we're all kind of figuring shit out as we go. And I think that's what people want to see. Right. Like, so like responding to those comments, but showing the journey, showing the trunk show, showing that kind of stuff. And I think that's what, what nowadays, that's what really gets the engagement and, and people love that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's, I was just talking to Michael about this on our walk the other day about how it's so crazy how like smaller companies can really take a big portion of the market share if they do it right, because these bigger brands aren't, are too corporate and people want to support the people that they feel like they can relate to more and they can connect to more. And of course the bigger brands will still do good because they're pumping out millions of dollars in advertising, but it's more of a level playing field if you do it right. Yeah, I agree. People like the grassroots kind of like feeling like they are part of something versus, you know, like even somebody like Lululemon, it's, I mean, it's great. I love their clothes, but I don't feel like I'm like, I have no connection, you know, to the owners or the people who run the company or anything like that. Right. Where you can get that kind of connection with people um, when Mm -hmm. you're doing it more in that grassroots style. So you did the clothing for a while. And then uh, that's not what you're doing now though. So take us on that journey. (laughs) Okay. So 20, okay. So 2017, uh, my husband lost his job and shit hit the fan. Sorry. Can I cuss? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. (laughs) Keep it super real here. Hit the fan. And, um, we started going down a spiral because that was keeping us afloat. I was putting all the money back into the business that I was making. And I was also paying off credit cards. I had a, I didn't have any outside funding. I did empty out my 401k, all my savings. And then I went to the resourcefulness of getting as many credit cards as I possibly could and maxing them all out to cover production and all of that kind of stuff because I was refusing to give up, which is fine. But I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't regret any of that because it's part of the journey right? So I look back and I'm like, oh my God, that was so naive, but I needed to have that happen because it's part of my story. And so no matter what you're going through right now, like it's part of your story, it's your path, not somebody else's. So I had to really own that, but it was really, really difficult. Uh, There was a time where, so basically we were, we had to put our house up for sale or we were going to lose it. And uh, we had just gotten so far, far behind in our mortgage. And it was just a point where we kind of in a way kind of wanted to run away from the reality of it and have like this reset move. And so in the midst of it all, Michael decided to fulfill his dream and start to have an experience in the wine industry. So he drove across country in the midst of all this, like our house is up for sale, all this stuff and worked in Napa Valley for harvest. And so I was supportive with it because I was like, you know what, this is what you want to do. Let's try it. So at the time we thought we were going to move to Napa when our house sold, which I mean, California is expensive. It wasn't really the ideal situation when you're trying to recoup your financial crisis. But you know, that was what we, that was the thought process at that time. So we put our house up for sale. It was like having, it was like in the middle of the summer, every time somebody wanted to look at the house, I took the dogs for a walk and it was so hot. I, sometimes I'd have to put them in the car and go for a ride. And I got to the point where I was just like, it was just, it was like just too much. And so before I actually say what I was about to say, I'm going to say that Michael and I, it's funny because we always had like separate accounts and it wasn't that we were trying to keep things separate. It's just what worked for us in our relationship. Now we have a joint account, but we had separate accounts. So we like collectively paid for things and whatnot. So every time he got paid, he would like, 
you know, we were trying to get the main bills caught up. And we knew the mortgage was like almost a lost cause at this point, given the, what he was getting, receiving for pay, yeah. but we needed to keep the lights on. We needed to like, you know, do yeah. the, keep the cell phone on and all that kind of stuff that got cut off. Like the lights never got cut off, but the cell phone got cut off and stuff like that. And so we were trying to get all that. And then he was like, okay, here's my grocery money. Here's your grocery money. And I actually use the majority of the grocery money for fabric. And so he was over there. I had orders that I had paid for like pre, uh, special orders. And, um, I used that money because we needed it for bills. And so I was screwed. If I didn't use that to buy the fabric, to make the production, I was going to have to pay three times the amount or four times the amount of what they you know, gave me. And so I literally would go to bed hungry. Like I would eat pasta and quinoa like every day. I remember going to bed hungry. I remember crying and saying like, what is my life come to? And it was just a really rock bottom point. The point that I really hit rock bottom was, um, when I actually had this trunk show that I was doing for a cause. It was when hurricane Harvey happened. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to give back and I also needed money and it was a give, it was a win-win situation. I, and so I was like, I had connected with this girl that was on below the deck, the reality show. She lived okay. in Fort Lauderdale and she wanted to do something too. So she was like, okay, let's co-host a live sale. And she had a big following and I was like, great. And I had done live sales before and just with me done well. Uh, so I, I didn't have enough money to go put in the gas tank to go down to Fort Lauderdale, which is like 45 minutes away. And so that was the point where I had to tell my aunt that I need the gas money. And they didn't know all this stuff was going on. We kept it very private. And she's like, what is going on? And I'm like telling her all this. And, um, she's like, I can't believe you let it get like this, Jennifer. Like, what, how could you let it get to this point? And so she gives me the money and I go down there um, and she, you know, put the gas in my car. She's like, I'm filling your tank up. Like, this is insane. But she also yeah. wasn't going to like be my crutch either at all. My aunt's very like, you know, she, she's has a kind heart, but she wasn't about to just funnel me money. Yeah. And so, um, she filled up my gas tank and I went down there and we did the live sale and we sold nothing, sold oh, nothing. Shit nothing. Um. <laughs> and I cried the whole way home. And that was my, I would consider that my rock bottom moment. And I, I want to like share that because like here I was going to bed hungry. I think I'm like going to catch a break. I think I'm going to get a, a, you know, a couple thousand in sales or even a thousand would be game changing for me at that point. And I didn't sell the damn thing. And so I went home. I like cried so hard on the way home. I had to like pull over at one point because I couldn't even see. And, um, and I just remember going on my couch and like curling up in the fetal position and just crying. And I was like, I can't believe I have letting it get, got, get to this point. And, um, and so Michael and I didn't get to see each other while he was in Napa for three months. We didn't get to see each other for like two months, more than that. I think he was in Napa for three and a half months and it was like 10 weeks till we got to see each other because it was a stretch to pay for a plane ticket. Yeah. You no. Know? Sure. And so, um, I went there and that was the point where after I'd had like the rock bottom, Michael didn't know I was paying for fabric because I didn't want him to be like, are you serious? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, so I was like, for food. <laughs> so I kept that all to myself. And when my aunt would invite me over for dinner, I would like, I would eat so much. It's great. It yeah. Okay. Know. She's like giving me a to go bag and I'm like, okay, I'll take four. I'll take four. And I didn't want to let, you know, I wanted to still like act like I semi had it together. And so I went there and I was like, I'm so sick of putting, of going out and doing all this. People were giving us lowball offers. I'm like, I think we should just let the house go until they just literally lock us out and take the house. Like we should just let it ride. I've heard people have it ride for like a year, year and a half. It takes time. As long mm -hmm. as you pay your HOA, they, they don't do it. It takes a while. And okay. so I was like, at last, we were paying the HOA, so they weren't going to kick us out of that. And, um, so I was like, let's take the house off the market. Um, we need a full price offer to even get us the next yeah. point. So basically what happened was the next day, uh, God universe, higher power, like stepped in and we got a full price offer on the house. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. And I think yeah. like that gives me goosebumps because even when you're talking about all of these things, like all of these moments in your life with the rock bottom moments and the, you know, the eating, the quinoa and the pasta and all those things, like those, I feel like those are moments that are, they, they're, they're there specifically to grow you in one way, shape or form. And even in the moment where, cause I know I've had my own rock bottom moments. I know you and I have chatted about this, mm -hmm. you know, hiding in the basement because someone's trying to sue us and serve us papers for a bank loan that, you know, all these things. It's like, I look back at that and I think that was, that was preparing me for something. It's preparing me for something. There's something that I needed to learn or grow much like yourself. And it's like you say, like, I don't regret those moments. You don't regret those moments because we've learned something from those. Like they're helping build us up for this next thing. And 
you don't you don't necessarily know what it is in the moment. <laughs> yeah, and you don't always like it in the moment, right? No. <laughs> I'm selling all those things. It's like you're being taken on a journey, and sometimes we just have to like have faith and trust. And I know that can mm-hmm. be so hard. So you get oh, the yeah. offer. Yeah, I get the full price offer, and then what happened was we did a. Um, so she's like. We got a full price offer and I was like, okay, I guess that's because we need to move. And at this point we had had talks about moving to Arizona because um, Michael had had his last stop in Arizona and we kind of came to terms with Napa wasn't really the place for us right now. And so he's like, I could see us moving to Scottsdale and I never wanted to move away from South Florida like when I moved there. I wanted to, I lived there for seven and a half years and I said I was never moving away because it was a place I wanted to live my whole life. And so, but at this point I just wanted to get away from everything, like all the naysayers, all the like family and different things. I just needed to get away. And so I was like on board about doing that, doing this. And so, and I'd never even been here before. (laughs) And so I was like, all right, I'm taking your word for it. You know, you know, my style, you said it's a nice new town, whatever, I'll take it. So we get the offer and uh, they do the inspection and it gets appraised for 7,000 less. And so we were like, um, she's like, you're going to have to take it. And we didn't tell our realtor that we were in the situation. And so at that point we had to tell her, no, we're not going to take it. Cause in her eyes, we were still making money. And I told her, I was like, uh, no, we can't. And I, and she was so mad when we told her what happened, but I was like, I'm not legally, I don't really legally have to tell you that, (laughs) you know, I wanted you to sell the house. I was in a desperate mode. She's like, I can't believe you're going to ask me to ask them to spend 7,000 more out of their pocket. I'm like, if they really want it, they'll do it. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up signing, uh, like, withdrawal paperwork, what a cancellation paperwork. And Michael and I were like talking for a split second about a plan B. And I was like, for some reason, I don't feel like we should be talking about this right now. And the next day, and I get chills, even as I say it the next day, she calls me up and she's like, I don't know what you have going on in Arizona or in your life or whatever, but obviously God is taking care of you because you just got your full price offer and they're paying the 7,000 extra. (laughs) And yeah. And that was like, and she's like, only caveat is you have to move out in two weeks. Michael was still in Napa. So he had, so we met from, I I flew from, um, from, from Florida to Phoenix and he met me, drove down, left his internship like a week and a half or two weeks early because, you know, they understood the situation. And so, and then we found the place, we flew back home. We actually left my car at a friend's house because we didn't want to drive it back and forth across country. And good thing we're like, really like, we were able to get rid of things really quick, sell furniture and everything. And right before we went, we sold our couch and we went to a Tony Robbins. <laughs> we went to Unleash the Power Within. So I just had been wanting to go all year and it was literally 48 hours, 48 hours before it started. We had the money from the couch and I told Michael, I was like, I think this would be a great way to start our new journey. Are you cool yeah. with it? I have ticket. I found tickets. They're offering the, still the, a really good price. And I think it was like 1300 or something for two tickets. And he's like, okay, let's go. And so in the midst of like moving all this, being exhausted and all that, we go to Tony Robbins. (laughs) It was so funny. Yeah. And you feel like those things happened on purpose. Like, don't you feel like you lined up the way that they were supposed to, like the reason you didn't sell your house was because up until then was because this, you know, like all of these things needed to be in place. So it's like when they say things happen, aren't happening to you, they're happening for you. It's like, you can, you can look back and see that, that, oh yeah, oh, yeah, I can see how that was, but sometimes it's hard to look forward and go, okay, this is happening for me. Like how, how is this happening for me right now? Mm-hmm. But totally, but you were meant to go to that Tony Robbins and that oh, was yeah. get there. Exactly. So we went there and then we drove across country uh, with our two dogs and um, we, you know, we had found a place uh, in 48 hours when we went to Phoenix and we downsized from 2,400 square foot house, dream house. It's one I had talked about my whole life of having a stucco house with an orange clay roof mm-hmm. and palm trees in the front yard that I could, you know, easily like ride my bike to the beach too. I had that. And then, you know, I go from that to an 800 square foot apartment. And granted, my place is beautiful. It's like brand new. When we moved in, it was like two months old. Nobody had lived in there before. We have a beautiful rooftop pool and I'm very blessed. But we took a step back, definitely. And that's, you know, kind of what we had to do because sometimes you have to take steps back in order to plunge forward. And Mm -hmm. so we just like majorly downsized and was like, all right, this is our reset move. Mm -hmm. And so all of 2018, I really didn't fully know what the heck I was going to do as my next move. I thought I was going to rebrand. It's funny. I was, I'm about to hit a hundred episodes of my podcast and I was listening to the beginning of all these different things I was going to do in 2018 that I shared. And I'm like, Oh, so much has changed. And that's okay. Right. We stick things to the wall and like, we're like, Oh, we throw things at the wall and see what sticks. And that's, 
I was looking at like different videos, courses I was going to do, or I was going to rebrand Hollow and Plank and do everything in a different, like black and white, all these things. And then I would just like, none of it was really, except for my podcast that I started, none of it was other than that was feeling like in alignment. It wasn't sticking. Yeah. Yeah. And so I realized that I really wanted to do another product brand, but I didn't know what it looked like and I didn't have the money to pay for another product brand. And so in the interim of this, I did have to, and since I'm okay with being full transparent, I had to go get another job, had to get Mm -hmm. a cocktail. I went, decided to get something. I could have got a good six figure job, but that's not what I wanted because I wanted something I could make quick cash, be flexible, come leave there. Don't even think about it and come back. And yeah. so I went to get a, like a cocktail serving job and I'll tell you, it was hard. Um, if you ever have to get another job and don't put entrepreneurship on your resume. <laughs> yeah. They don't like that. <laughs> don't like that. I had never, ever, I had so much serving job like experience from college and I like never had a problem getting something. I thought I was going to get it in like a day. I mean, it took me like two and a half months to find a serving job. Yeah. Yeah. That's Cause funny. I got, I got turned down. Like people were there one person even brought me in their office and they're like, why are you here? Are you here for just the money? And I'm thinking, isn't that what everybody's doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> question. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I should have dumbed down my resume, but I didn't. I thought it was good because it made me look qualified and like a go-getter. Yeah. But what I realized is a lot of people in those settings don't want people that they feel like are going to potentially overshadow overshadow them and take their position. But that was never my intent. My intent was just to go there, make some extra money in the interim. Yeah. Well, and I think too, they, they think that you're just going to come and, you know, make the money and then leave. They're probably looking for somebody that's going to stick around too, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that's basically was my next thing. And so I, I worked there actually up until really recently when we were at the Fast Foundations, I was like, I am leaving by the end of June. So uh, like I got two and a half, three weeks ago, I left. Uh, I put in my two week and they didn't, they didn't want me for two weeks. So I was like, all right, that's fine. Blessing in disguise. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess the missing link is like, what's the next thing that I'm doing? And so, um, I have now a conscious brand, a sustainable brand It's called carbon conscious. And so basically starting with bamboo straws and, mm-hmm. um, branching out into other products. And so I really am conscious of the products I consume, the food I eat, all of that. So it's really in alignment with how I live my life from day to day, whether it's from mm-hmm. fitness, products, you know, different things and wanting to make like a less of a footprint here on the earth and make it a better place. And mm-hmm. so I believe there's like a, you know, I'm not like this hippie tree hugging person, but I also love making an impact and making a difference. And I see the value in that. And so yeah. I consider myself like a modern day conscious brand, you know, conscious person, because I think so often we put it a, a sticker on it. Like you have to be this tree hugging hippie and nothing yeah. against that. I'm not trying to no. say stereotype wise. Right. You know? Yeah. Yep. And so I just believe that even if we all make a 2% shift in what we consume and how we consume it, yeah. we can totally make a difference. Yeah. A lot of the time people say, I'm not going to make a difference. I'm just one person, but I'm going to use an example. Uh, on average, the U.S. alone uses 500 million plastic straws a day. Oh my gosh! Yeah, worldwide, it's it's a over a little over a billion, and so a day. And a if you day. were that, yeah, if you were that one person that has even a smoothie every day at home, like I do, and you yep. use a plastic straw every single day, that's 365 straws you yourself, not including the ones you eat out and so forth, are using. Yeah. So if you could just cut back 365 straws, that's making a difference because if you times a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 people do that, it's, it's making and making a difference. Mm -hmm. I love that. And even just like, so, okay, before we get into, cause I want to talk about the straws and I want to talk about the environmental (laughs) impact, but let's just connect the dots between. So, uh, your clothing company, where is that now? Did you completely shut that down or is that still something you do? Yeah. So I actually, good question. So I, I actually closed it. So okay. it was in limbo for a little while because I was trying to sell the rest of my inventory. And then I ended up donating some, I did something with the boys and girls club. I also gave nice. some to the Phoenix children's hospital. And I just felt like I needed to close that chapter. I did hang on to it for probably longer than I should have mm-hmm. just because I didn't really want to let it go. Like I announced that I was going to close and then I ended up staying open and then all this stuff. It was yeah. just like, I wasn't ready to let my firstborn that I thought was my firstborn end all be all yeah I can really I thought when I first started go ahead sorry no I said it's tough right because you build those things they become your babies and you kind of feel like oh it's like it's to to say 
you're done is kind of hard. Yeah, it's so hard. And it's one of those things where I thought when I started, it was like going to be the only business. I didn't even really get the whole serial entrepreneur thing until I started really diving deep into it and realizing, yeah, that's me because I like to do different things and we evolve and we grow and then we're going to transition whether you close a business, sell a business or whatever it may be. Um, getting used to other things like the, the pivot is what I call it. It's like you, you are on this journey and you're led down these different paths and you get to be exposed to different things and you just don't know how that's going to land on you. And sometimes it lands on you where you do literally take a whole new road and being okay with that and using your intuition. That was one of the words I wrote down when you were talking about listening to your intuition and your gut and letting that help guide you on your journey. Obviously you were listening to it because you've made lots of shifts and changes. Um, mm -hmm. that's led to you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. And I think that's on purpose. So you, you let go of the clothes and how did you get into the like the conscious straws? Like, where did that come up for you? Where were you like, Hey, this is something that I think I want to do. Okay, like, or something so, I want to get into. Yeah, it's funny how this all happened. So I, I wrote down in the beginning of the year that I wanted to create a product that was going to make a positive impact in the world. Didn't know what it looked like. I had no idea. And I also didn't have the, like, I was like, how am I going to do this? Like, I don't really have the budget to start a new product brand, but I'm going to figure this out. And so I just kind of let it go, but also had it always in the back of my mind. That's, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure mm -hmm. it out. And so a few months ago, I had a, uh, somebody on my podcast that I was introduced to that actually had a bamboo straw company. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, um, this is amazing. Why didn't I think of this? And <laughs> he's based out of Vietnam. And so I was like, in love with the idea. He sent me straws. I freaking loved it. And so over the course of a couple months, we started talking um, as of me being either a rep, a affiliate rep, all these different things, because I believe so much in the product. And I had the US access as opposed to him being in Vietnam. And so over the course of a couple months, it started off as, you know, affiliate, then um, maybe like uh, do a different kind of commission-based structure to come on as a partner to now it's pivoted to where I'm doing this myself and he's going to be my supplier. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny because this all kind of happened in a, even here recently in the last couple of days, um, <laughs> things have shifted. And so, but I knew it was something that I believed in and wanted to do and also made a really big impact because bamboo is actually like something that is a pest in overseas. Like there's, it can be grow a foot a day. And so it's in massive abundance and by reusing it. And I also know that like all these paper straws that were coming out and stuff, nobody, I can't stand them. Yeah. They literally suck. <laughs> They get cart, they get soft, and all of this. And the great thing is that ours are organic; they're non chemically treated. So you can go on Amazon and Google bamboo straws, and you can get bamboo straws sent to you at your doorstep. But they're not going to be organic; they're going to be chemically treated. They're going to have a coating on them, and all of that. These don't have a coating; they're organic. They last one to two years. They're completely biodegradable, and um, and so I just really believed in the product and the more we started talking and the more the relationship evolved, it's funny because I, that's not ever how I envisioned something going down. Uh, but it's, it's all worked out amazingly because I had had conversations with him of where do you see the, the, your expansion in the U S and in the beginning he had said, you know, maybe having somebody as the, you know, as somebody selling in the U S as their own brand, but being the supplier for it. And, um, and it's kind of come back full circle because that's now what I'm doing. At first we were going to partner and then we realized that, you know, this would be the best thing because he has another brand, he has other things going on. And, um, I move, I have my way of doing things. He has his way of doing things. Neither one is right or wrong. It's yeah. just that we decided that it was best if he focused on what he's doing over there and then became my supplier. Um, he spent a, quite a few, like a year and a half in getting the best supply chain and having access to all of this, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of, yeah. Kind of thing. So now you can take it on as your, it's your own business now where you're going to be the face of these straws in the U S mm -hmm. yeah. So we're doing a wholesale right now. Um, so you can buy wholesale. So wholesale, um, it, it's, there's minimum order quantities and all that. And you can always like message me and we can talk if this is something that you want to do, but, um, we, I can do wholesale right now. And then I am having a, a crowdfunding campaign for the retail portion. And so, um, which I know once this 
there. She'll have linked so that you guys yes. can see about that. So this way you can get retail. So that, so the average, like, so someone like me could go on and say, I want, you know, 50 straws for my house kind of thing, or mm -hmm. however, yeah, however you want to do it. Now tell me a little bit about, cause I know, um, I know some of your story, but I want the listeners to hear this. So I know some of the resourcefulness, cause I truly, I'm someone like much like you, I find, I think resourcefulness is one of the most important, um, elements as an entrepreneur, because there's a lot of times where we're faced with situations where we either aren't expecting it or, you know, we just, we don't know what to do. And so we have to get resourceful in order to figure it out. So I know that there's been situations where you've been trying to get into like, get into like large chains so that they can like change their straws. Cause even just the other day, I mean, it's a dollar McDonald's iced coffee right now. And I went through the drive-thru ordering my iced coffee, not even thinking about it. And there I get the plastic cup with the plastic lid and the plastic straw. And I was driving away and I was just like, I had that like icky feeling of like, Oh, look at all this plastic. And I was thinking actually about you and your straws and, and getting like, you know, so tell me about some of the work that you've done to get some of the straws into these um, facilities and what does the future look like for you in getting this out there? Okay. So yeah, resourcefulness, definitely. And the thing <laughs> is I am going for the big dogs. I'm not kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm open to smaller orders. I'm not saying that as far as wholesale, but I'm going for the bigger bigger players. And so with that being said, it's not always easy and it's definitely a process. And so there's things where I have found Googled owners and I haven't been able to get in touch with the person that they say is in charge of, you know, the supply and all that. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've just like Google, I go to Google and I Google the owners and then I find them on Instagram and send them a DM. <laughs> and so it's been working and I'm in talks with some really big brands. And so, which is amazing that are, will be closing here shortly. It, mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just like cut kind of, sometimes you have to cut out that middle person. And yeah, of course those, you know, owners, if it's a big company are going to be busy and they may not be the easiest to get in touch with all the time. And mm -hmm. it still may take time, which I'm seeing is it's not like an immediate decision because it is still a time they have a team for a reason. Mm -hmm. However, it helps get to them faster so that they can give it the okay. And then the team can implement it the way that they you know, need to go about it. And so mm -hmm. I'm just not afraid to ask people. I'm not afraid to send them a voice memo. I'll just send them a voice memo. Hey, my name's Jennifer. I have these straws. I think it would be perfect for you guys, especially if I'm like a customer where I go there. Like yeah. I come here all the time and I notice you still have plastic or I come here all the time and now you have paper and paper sucks. Like yeah. I don't say it like that, nobody but likes paper. nobody likes paper. And I know that it's just a matter of time because before, if you haven't already decided this, you're going to realize that your customers don't like it either. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. most of them actually, when I talk to them, are like, Oh no, we can't wait to get rid of them. Like yeah. they just want to go through the paper straws. And yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like when did, I know that paper is better than plastic, but when did we decide that trees weren't as important either? Yeah. Right. Cause oh. they, they have to be right. Yeah. So the trees have to be cut down in order to make the paper straws. Right. And you're going through more waste with the paper straws because you're going, sometimes if you, you might have to go through a couple in a drink, depending on what the yeah. grade of them are. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and so the thing with what you're doing now, it's, it's about making an impact, right? So going after those bigger companies, I know, cause before you said sometimes, you know, start small, but in this instance, in order to have the impact that you want to have on the environment, you have to go to the big players. You've got to go to the McDonald's and the Starbucks and all of those places. Cause that's where the most of this kind of stuff is being consumed. So I love that you're doing that. And I hope that, um, the next, I mean, maybe not the next time, but sometime in the very near future, when I go through the McDonald's drive through now, it's just saying, I don't want to straw like now. Yeah. Just drink without the lid and the stuff. But what I learned was, um, we just talked about this yesterday that Starbucks says that they're actually and I don't know if this is for real, but they're not allowed to give you your hot drink without a lid, a plastic lid. They have to give you a plastic lid because hmm. it spills and it burns you, you can sue. <laughs> oh, right? wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So now we need to come up with bamboo lids and straws because we got to get rid of the plastic altogether. But exactly. I, I, big undertaking, but it's so amazing that you're doing that. And, um, we'll definitely get all the links and put it all, um, because one of the things I was going to ask you about, you know, cause a lot of the people that I talk to who are wanting to start a business, you know, the financial piece has been such a challenge for them. You know, it's like, I want to start this business, but I don't really have the money. I don't have the resources, but I have the deal, the, the idea and the, and the passion for it. So can you share, shed some light? Cause I know you've had some ups and downs in this space, like mm -hmm. how, you know, being resourceful when it comes to the money and how do you, how do you build a business when you may, maybe don't necessarily have the resources financially? Like what are some of the things mm -hmm. that you've done? 
So when I started Hello and Plank, I had some money, but it went by really quick. Um, and then when I ran out of that capital, I had to get resourceful where all my friends were my models for my clothes. I just gave them clothes as trade. I did trade for pictures. I was very blessed to have a good friend that was my model turned photographer and she was super creative and amazing and did all these things for the brand for me. Um, and just because she was my friend and it even got to a point where I had no more clothes to give her. I give her everything from the collection. <laughs> yeah. And, but she still did it for me, which I'm so thankful for. So I would say that, you know, anytime you can potentially do something with trade, that is definitely something you could go down. Also, like with me right now, I'm going to be doing a crowdfunding. In the beginning, when I was going to have a partner, it was going to be a different situation where funding, you know, for the retail section was going to potentially, you know, come from his end as opposed to mine. And now that we've decided to do it in a different structure and me have me run the company myself and him be my supplier, I'm going to have to be resourceful in the fact that I'm going to do a crowdfunding campaign. Mm -hmm. And so by doing that crowdfunding campaign, people have a chance to come behind a product and you have a, a, a higher chance of building a movement sooner. So what, just to kind of talk about like what, how I had to get resourceful literally a couple days ago when all of this happened, we thought, you know, we were going to do the partnership and all this. And I had the thing to launch the website in a couple days, which will be launched by the time this goes live. And I just was like, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, now there's a shift in thoughts of how we need to go about this. And so within a matter of 24 hours, I was just like less than that. I had a solution and I got really, really freaking specific, specific and thought, okay, what do I need to do? Because my feet are to the fire. And like I explained earlier, I left my other job. So I literally have feet to the fire and I need to move fast. And mm -hmm. so with that being said, I decided, all right, number one, I got, you know, when I found out that it was not going to go the way I thought I had like a freak out moment for a second, but then I snapped right back and I was like, okay, what is the solution here? When I realized this with wholesale, I don't need capital because it's when it's custom, people pay before they even have it made because I don't have it. If somebody orders a hundred thousand straws, I don't have a use for it. You know, and I just want to interrupt there for a second custom because their name or their logo goes on the straw. Correct. Exactly. So it's That's not only, yeah, I'm sorry. That's what makes them unique. So it's a unique marketing opportunity. It's not just a straw replacement. You have yeah. the straw replacement, but you also have marketing into it because Brand. people can reuse it, bring it back. I mean, their dishwasher is safe, so technically you could reuse them. I know some places that are reusing straws now. However, it's really cool if you let people take them back and encourage them to bring them back every time they come back to yeah. the facility because then it's like, oh, they have you top of mind. Yeah. And so that's the really unique part. So with the wholesale, I don't need capital. I already have, I'm very, very blessed to have all the um, production, you know, all that sorted out to where yeah. it's plug and play ready to go. Yeah. Um, and then as you know, but if you have to do samples and stuff, that's just stuff you have to get resourceful with. Like, because I had to do samples with Hallow and Plank and I would have had to do samples with a straw if I didn't have the, the connection that I have. Yeah. And so that's going to take a little bit of money, but not a lot. And that's where you think about like crowdfunding or think about trade or, you know, you're not going to be able to trade a business if they don't know who you are, obviously. Yeah. I yeah. just have to get a little resourceful, sell things on OfferUp. If you have, do you have OfferUp over there? Not in Canada, no. Okay. So it's like an app where you can sell things. Like I've sold furniture, I've sold little yeah. watches and stuff. I've sold things, sell yeah. things to be able to pay for it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not afraid to do that kind of stuff either. And I just got really resourceful and I contacted somebody that is a, like a part-time mentor to me and about funding. And it was not easy to ask. Honestly, I didn't like, it was a, to have that kind of conversation, but what ended up happening, which was great was he could easily give me the money. Like it wouldn't have put a dent in his pocket, but what he really advised is listen, you put together this crowdfunding campaign, you have a community. If you guys watch Shark Tank, like a lot of people start off by having that community. And by yeah. having that community of people that want to back you and watch the journey and you reach people that wouldn't have reached you otherwise by just doing pre-sales on your, on your uh, website, yeah. then it makes a bigger impact. So he, I know, I know what he's doing. He's very, very smart. He's been in business for like probably close to 20 years, you know, for mm -hmm. himself. And he's a very, very successful entrepreneur. And so by doing that, it just allows you to build a tribe. So I wouldn't, you know, if you're doing a product, definitely think about crowdfunding nowadays. People want yeah. to be part of something like we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. 
Well, yeah. and it's like, he's teaching you how to fish versus just giving you the fish, right? Cause there's going to mm-hmm. be other times where things are going to come up where you may need to get resourceful again and getting some capital for something. And it's like, versus just handing the money. Now you've learned how to create this kind of opportunity to get what you need. And in future, you can kind of go back to it or teach it to other people or use it again somewhere in your life. So I love that. Um, and the other thing that you have touched on here, which I think is so important for everybody who's listening, is relationship building. And I know Chris and Lori have talked to us a lot about that too, about just building relationships with people and, um, you know, good relationships with people so that, you know, like your photographer friend, like you were, you were good to her, you traded with clothing, all stuff. And even when you did nothing left to, to trade with her because you had built that relationship, she continued to still help you and, and do some things for you, you know, which helped you. Oh, yeah. Grow, right. So it's so valuable to create those relationships with people. And one of the things that, um, that Chris had talked about to us that I totally think is so cool is he had those lunches that he said once a week, he goes for it's like a relationship building lunch kind of thing with somebody new and say like, how can I help support you? How can I help support you? And then, you know, the, the natural response from the other person is, well, now how can I support you? Right. And if you're just giving in your relationships that that can do so much for you in the process of building or growing, um, any kind of business. Oh yeah. It's funny because I actually, um, I had, I was, I was doing the money course with Chris's course and it was yeah. like, you know, part where it's like, what would you do with an extra thousand dollars, $10,000, a hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars. And I was writing all these things out because I also right now have a friend that a really good friend of mine in South Florida. She was also a model, also built my website. Like she's kind of jack of all trades for me too. And she's helping me with the website and the logo and just like saying, I believe in you and you can pay me when you can pay me, which is, um, you know, and I'm very upfront with her. I'm like, listen, if you got other things that are paying you right now that you don't have time to do this, please don't be afraid to tell me no, because it's not going to make me not be your friend or not, you know, think any differently of you. I just want to be transparent. And that's the big thing is like laying out the, um, just laying it out on the table. Like I'm not here to try to take advantage of the situation. If you ever feel like that, we have an open conversation, please let me know yeah. because otherwise you, you don't want to, you, you don't ever want to ruin a relationship through something that could have been prevented through a simple conversation. Yeah. So I've always been really upfront with my friends that have helped me like, listen, my feelings aren't going to be hurt if you can't do this. Or if you feel like you have, you know, you need to make money somewhere else or whatnot. Like literally I would much rather you tell me than keep it and hold resentment. And so when I was writing out everything with what I would do with the different amounts of money, one of the things that I have planned is all the people that have helped me along the way. I have special things in my mind that I want to do for them. And I can't, yeah, Yeah. that's amazing. That's amazing. And that's just what it's about, right? Like it's about communication, being open and honest transparency, um, and, and creating those relationships. And I think that that can go so far, uh, on this journey. Um, you talked about Chris's course, the money course, and, um, obviously we're in the mastermind, how important or how, what kind of an impact has being a part of, you know, having mentors and being in group masterminds and, you know, the courses and the books and the CDs and all of those things that how much of an impact has that had on your journey? Because you have had significant ups and downs and like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So it's something I wish I would have done a long time ago. (laughs) When I first started, I lost a lot of friends. I felt really lonely. I, you know, it was really hard. People didn't understand what I was doing. People would say things that weren't so nice. And I, you know, I'm really, I'm pretty thick skinned and I pushed it off pretty easy, but inside it hurt. And I knew to just kind of like, I kind of slowly faded those people out of my life. Didn't just like cut them off and say, I'm not talking to you. I just kind of slowly stopped talking to them. But having the community and having the people that understand and get the journey is so important because, and just to uplevel yourself, your tribe, your mindset, all of it, because without that, I feel like it can be such a lonely journey. If you don't have, I'm very type A, like I'll just keep pushing, but at the end of the day, I could have burnout and I could need to talk to somebody. And I have friends that I could just like call and be like, Hey, you know, I need to talk this through. I have one of my friends that I've been, her and I have been, she's an entrepreneur. We've been friends for, um, we actually met in Angie Lee's group on her Facebook group. And we've been friends for, I guess about a year and a half now. And I was like, I need to, I need to process what happened the other day and how I'm going to go about it. And she just let me talk it all out. She's like, you know the answer. This is what you need to do. And it was great because having those people to lean on when other people don't get it is so, so yeah. important. 
And just having also on top of that is learning different ways to build your business. And um, so I honestly, if in the beginning when I had the 401k full out, like and all the savings, I would have invested in a coach or, a, or like a mastermind early on had I known what, I didn't even really know what they were at the time and the, the benefit of them. Yeah. The group, I, I, you know, and as much as, you know, the mentors who are running these group masterminds or group coaching programs are amazing. It's also the other people, like you said, it's being able to have those conversations with other like-minded individuals that get it, that can say like, dude, like I I've been there or I understand, or, you know, cause sometimes when you're, you're starting these businesses and you've got all friends who are working the nine to five kind of corporate thing, they, they don't understand. They don't, they don't, they don't understand they, I think there's people who deep down, like you said, when you left your corporate job in the beginning, there are people who are like jealous. Like, I wish that I had the guts to do that. And I think sometimes what people do is instead of, of saying, being honest and saying that they, they go, Oh, you're crazy. But really internally they want to do what you're doing, you know, and their defense mechanism comes up and goes, you're crazy for doing that. Who, you know, who are you? Who do you think you are? But really that's just like the front. Like when we, you know, get out there and live our purpose and our passion, even though it's hard. And even though we have struggles and even though we have all those things, we're literally putting a mirror up to other people who aren't willing to do those things and showing them like, you know, Hey, like this is what I know you want to do, but you're not doing it. And like they, that's the defensive goes up. Right. And I mean, I've probably done it myself in my own time too. Right. And I know when I left my corporate career, people were like, you're crazy. What about your benefits? Like, how are you going to survive without your dentist being paid for? You know? And it's like, (laughs) I'll just pay for it myself. Like, what do you mean? Oh yeah. I I don't even have insurance right now, full disclosure, but I'm very holistic. So it would have been all cash anyways, if I need to go. So it's just, I think we're just conditioned to think that way of like all the, the things, what if, what if, what if, but regret is the worst thing if you have that. And also what you said about like hearing people's story and like podcasts, Chris and Lori were the first podcast I ever listened to. That's why I invested in their mastermind. Chris and I, I met Chris and Lori at the, um, her, her book signing in Scottsdale. And I told him I'm going to be in your elite mastermind one day. And I'm not at this point yet, but I'm going to be in the elite mastermind. And then when he had the other one, I was like, okay, this is, you know, I was already bought into everything with they, how they showed up their story. And that's, what's so important about sharing your story is people, the messenger is not the same for everybody. So people can relate to people. Michael and I can relate to their story, even though it's not identical so yeah. much. And we're like, it gives us hope <laughs> on the days that we feel like we want to give up. Yeah. Totally. I know. And so what do you do on those days? Like those days where you wake up and you're just like, Oh my gosh, this isn't going right or whatever. Like, how do you push through? Like, what are some tactics or tips that you use for yourself just to get through to that other side when things feel like they're just going south? I think I've gotten really good at a reaction mode. So with that being said, I don't stay in that moment for very long. So I'm pretty quick especially as I put myself back up against the wall, feet to the fire once again, I just have no other choice. But in my mind, I mean, in other people's mind, maybe it's different, but in my mind, I have no choice but to push forward. And so I'll have a moment of maybe feeling sorry for myself or what the hell did I do? Or, you know, for a split second, like, man, life was a little bit easier when I had a paycheck coming in. And I, but then I think, no, this is, I would be miserable. I'd be wishing away my days. I love Mondays now. I freaking used to hate Monday. And I happily work if I need to work on Saturday and Sunday, I happily do it. And yeah. it's just my, my perspective has shifted. So now I just have trained myself and it hasn't happened overnight. Like I trained myself over time to like snap back quick. And I listen the other day I had like a meltdown for like 10 minutes. I, then I looked at the clock. It was 11, 11. I was like, I am supported. Everything is fine. Just keep pushing. And then I was like, all right, solution mode. So the quicker that you could train yourself to like snap out of it, the better. And that's what I've really done. So I don't, I don't, I've never, I can't say I've never had this where a day where I'm just like, oh, but in a long time I haven't, I, I snap back pretty quick. I don't let myself sit slipping it all day. Yeah. I love that too. And I know it's, it's those, when you're an entrepreneur building your own thing, it's like my husband, I said, if we didn't have kids, we could literally be in our like zone working and creating and doing stuff like from, you know, nine in the morning till nine at night. But then it's like, oh yeah, we got to feed the kids. Oh yeah. We have to like, we have to do these other things. So we kind of end up having to stop. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, you, you love doing what you're doing. It's like inspiring. It's like fulfilling. It's like you just, and, and so that I feel like to me, that's how, you know, you're on the right path. 
you're doing the thing. I actually just did a podcast about this, about, you know, doing the things that bring you joy. And if it's not bringing you joy that you have to be aware, create that awareness and, and then make some simple shifts, you know, to help find the thing that like you've made shifts in your career and finding the thing that's actually, you know, really bringing you joy. Um, and I love the solution mode. Like it's letting yourself have the, the pity party for a minute. Cause you know, we just need to allow ourselves to feel, but then it's, it's creating the awareness around. I've always been a big fan of, you know, awareness is everything when you can catch yourself in the pity party and then you can go, Hey, wait a minute, this is not helping. And then turn it into solution mode, grab a pen and paper and start going, okay, what can I do right now and just write down everything even if it seems ridiculous write it down and then you can go back through and kind of sift through what you've written down okay what's something that I could do today or what's something that would make sense for me to do as a next step and then just mm -hmm. you know start thinking about it and acting upon it I love that I love that so what's the future for carbon conscious it's carbon conscious right yeah carbon conscious so the future is we're going to take over the world no, i'm just kidding um so my vision is to create a movement that people can stand behind that basically allows them to be part of something bigger than themselves mm -hmm. and with that being said like kind of what i said earlier on about just making small simple shifts in your consume in the products and the things that you consume and knowing that you're making a difference and so by getting that straw and reusing it and even if it's not you're not at the place right now where you want to tote it around with you and take it out even if it's just using it at how at your home yeah. if you're having a smoothie every day that's making a shift and then you can evolve into other things I'm not gonna look down upon you and be like oh my god you didn't bring your reusable straw with you but if you're trying to consciously consciously make the shift you're making a difference and so we're starting with the straws we're gonna have cutlery as well bamboo like cutlery that you could bring for like you know um, on the go or whatnot. And then I have other products that are going to be coming down the pipeline as well. So all the products are going to be conscious with the intent of getting the single use plastic products out of the equation so that people can have things that are going to be more sustainable and make a positive impact and make this world a better place. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know like with that one, 1 billion straws in the U S or I'm sorry, in the whole world are used every single day, 500 million in the U S like if we put a billion straws together, that would take up, like, I would love to see what that size wise would look like. And if you think about how big the earth is and then every single day, there's that many straws, like that just tells you one, how many are being produced and then how many are being used. And then like, like, where's the, like, you know what I mean? Like, wh where would that ever end? You like, you've got, we've got to start now today. And mm -hmm. I think like, even I'm thinking actually while you were talking, I was actually even thinking about kids juice boxes, like getting mm. somehow getting the bamboo straws, like getting those come. Cause those are, those are, there's a little plastic straw attached to each one of those Tetra packs, right? Like that yeah. is a big, big piece. And I, when you said that, I was thinking, well, if I could somehow create a straw for Ryan to take to school, but I'm like, oh wait, the straws automatically attached to that damn juice box. Like I can't, it, mm -hmm. you can't get rid of that, right? So it's it comes with the juice boxes, and then it's like, well, don't that's come the juice boxes. yeah, that's such a good idea. And you know, it's funny you said kids. So it all starts with like the the younger generations, and a lot of the time they're going to be the ones that tell the parents that aren't quite ready for this new wave of where we're going. You know, um, to help. So what my mission, another thing that I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be, this is something that I'm kind of like working on the sidelines that I'm eventually going to make it like a really big impact part portion of the company is going to different schools and educating the kids on the importance of sustainability and the importance of what it has on their planet because they're the younger generation and they're going to be the ones to implement these changes for years to come and also yeah. pass it down to their children and their children, et cetera. And yeah. so that's something that I'm looking to do as well uh, as, you know, alongside the company is to help spread that awareness because it's all about educating people. A lot of people just don't know. It's not that they don't want to make a difference. They may just not be aware of it. I can already see it now. It's carbon conscious kids and it's an Instagram page and it's all about like kids who are using conscious, write that down. <laughs> I'm totally, I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. This is gold. Like I'm grabbing my pen. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so like if the kids are using the straws somewhere, they're using some of the things or they're being responsible, you know, they can take a picture and hashtag carbon conscious kids and like all that kind of stuff. Like that's, that's about, that's creating the movement, you know, it's mm -hmm. like getting, involved. And, and, um, I love that. I think that's amazing. Um, so this has been such a great chat. We could keep oh, continuing yeah. talking about this all day. I love it. Um, I would love make sure that I'm going to put all the links 
to everything we've talked about here, you guys, in the show notes. Um, so you can get those at shanarecker.com. When you, you're set up, because by the time this goes live, you'll have all your links set up for the crowdfunding and all the things. So if you guys want to support the mission, the impact, the cause of this, which it's huge, you guys, and it's going to take a lot of people, you know, but a little bit from a lot of people can have a huge impact. So make sure you check out the link um, that's in the show notes and we will get drive as much traffic to you and your mission and your cause as we possibly can because I think it's amazing. Um, and then when the retail site's up, you can guarantee I'll be on there buying some straws for our family because we do use straws right now. We buy we have reusable plastic straws, which I hate because mm-hmm. they're still, yes, they're reusable, but time, at the end of the day, they are so plastic. So plastic, um, yeah. We need to make that shift in our home as well. So I can't wait to um, to get access to those. But this has Thank been so you. much fun. Thank you so, so much, much for fun. your story and being super Thank authentic. Um, I think that that inspires people to know that if you're starting this entrepreneurial journey or if you're in the middle of your journey, that there are going to be ups and downs and it's about being resourceful, you know, having faith, trusting your gut, you know, making great relationships and, you know, keep persevering and you're going to find your way. It's going to happen. Have faith, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Have faith. That is the one thing. Have faith and persevere. Persevere. (laughs) Exactly. I feel like for you, this is just the beginning. You know, you've been through Mm -hmm. all of these but I feel like this is just your beginning. You're just about to launch. Yeah, um, thank you. Stuff. So I'm so, so, so excited for you. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me.